This is the Athletic Hockey Show. We're up and running, and welcome to a live trade deadline day edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Mendes, Haley Salvian. Hey, we're reunited again. They and they said it with never. Yeah, they said it with never. Live, uh, coming at you live. Uh, the Athletic Hockey Show on YouTube. Want to uh, encourage all of our uh, our viewers and listeners to subscribe at YouTube.com/slash at the Athletic uh, Hockey Show. We're on Twitter. Uh, we're coming at you live. It is just after 2.30 Eastern time. I am uh, uh, inside the Canadian Tire Centre, home of the Ottawa Senators. Haley Salvin is in a hotel, a hotel room in parts unknown. Yeah, an undisclosed U.S. location. Yeah, oh, oh U.S. location. And now you may have to leave at yeah, some point right. in the early part of this because you may have room service. You've, you've timed this out impeccably. I ordered a coffee a half an hour ago from downstairs because... This is one of those nice hotels where you can get like the full craft of coffee sent upstairs, not just a cup of coffee. Like I could have gone down to a Starbucks and did that, but I could get like a jug with an IV drip actually. And, yeah. and it's taking a little bit of time to. Yeah, How's that working out for you? Not so well right now. I'm not still so well. exhausted. Yeah, exactly. So if Haley uh, so we'll dips see out, how it goes. yeah, if Haley dips out for a second, cause there's a knock at the door. Uh, off to pick up the carafe of, uh, of coffee. Yeah. If anybody watching us right now, like I said, we're live. And if you've got any questions for us, you can drop them into the chat there. We'll absolutely handle uh, some of your questions as we go. Just to set up the show for the viewers and and, uh, and the listeners, coming up uh, in about just under 10 minutes from now, uh, Fluto Shinzawa covers the Boston Bruins, uh, is going to be with us. And I, I got to tell you, Haley, boy, if you had to pick your team right now, a lot of people think that that's a de- definitive team to beat, right? The Boston mm-hmm. Bruins. Um, yeah. Everything that they've done around the deadline. So Fluto at uh, 240. And then then we're going to go to the opposite side of the spectrum. Then there's the Chicago Blackhawks. They're not winning the Stanley Cup. In fact, they might be in the running for Connor Bedard, but Mark Lazarus does a great job covering Chicago. Also a national writer for The Athletic. Laz at 250. Sean Gentile. The snark factor will be upped considerably when Sean Gentile joins the show (laughs) uh, just after 3 o'clock. Sean has been doing a ton of work along with the other Sean, Sean McAdoo. You, you were part of this too, were you not today? Um, the live blog, yeah. The live blog. So uh, Sean Gentilly at 3 o'clock, James Myrtle, uh, senior managing editor with us at The Athletic. Also, of course, uh, does a great job covering the Toronto Maple Leafs. James Myrtle comes by at about 3.15 to kind of put a bow on this. But this has been a real quiet day. And, and, and But part of that, Haley, I know mm-hmm. people are like, oh, this, this day is really boring and it's dull. But it's worth the trade-off, isn't it, for what? The, the frenetic pace and the excitement and all the drama and all the trades we've seen in the last 10 days, right? This is worth it. I think so. I mean, it makes the actual day itself really boring. Like you said, Ian, like, you know, you sometimes we think of deadline day and all the moves start coming through and you got eight hours of TV to fill on, you know, whatever network it is that, that has a show on from, from 8 AM until, four or five o'clock at night. Um, so it makes that a little bit less entertaining, but like, we can't say that there hasn't been any action because that is just completely not true. Um, when I was looking at uh, cat friendly earlier today, they had a really great statistic because everyone keeps saying like, it feels like it's been really busy leading into the deadline. 
yeah, that is quantifiable. It is busier than it has ever been in the last decade in the two weeks leading into the trade deadline. So the previous high for deals in the two weeks leading up to the deadline over the last decade is 20. There has been 43 and there were 43 trades in the two weeks leading up to deadline day, according to uh, cap friendly. Yeah. And, and it's not just, yeah. And it's not just quantity, it's quality, right? We're talking the Ryan O'Reilly's and the Bo Horvats and the Patrick Canes and the Jacob Chickrens. And uh, these are elite kind of game changing uh, players that have all kind of shifted around. So like I said, we'll take your comments uh, coming in live here. Uh, if you're, if you're um, following along here, drop them in. Uh, Corey has written in, look at this, Corey. We, we really appreciate this. Corey says two of my favorite people at the athletic. Thanks, Corey. We assume Corey's talking about us, but maybe he just, uh, Corey just threw that in there. Didn't know who is. It's a very generic compliment. However, this is Julia helps us out a little bit here. Julia says, add Sean, Chen, uh, Sean Gentili and Shayna. Mm -hmm. This would be my, the Mount Rushmore of my favorite athletic writers. Okay. So there you go. We'll take it. How about Shayna with some, uh, what are we calling these? Shape, shape bombs, shay makers, maybe shay makers. I don't like, oh, like that. It's like a, it's like a haymaker. It's like I don't like that. No? no, okay. She's okay. just breaking some trades. So I, this great. one's puzzling. Uh, Dryden Hunt looks to be on the move again this time to Calgary. Of yeah, all and, the things yeah. that I thought maybe the Flames would do today, it wasn't that. <laughs> yeah, like, what, Dryden, why? You know, Calgary. There's a handful That's of teams that are. Rich. That are that are in a bit of a, 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 a odd spot. Calgary's one of them. Um, Lars has a question for us actually here. Uh, Haley, Lars says, uh, "Greetings from Sweden. Uh, awesome job today. Any new talk about the Red Wings moves? Sunquist to the uh, to the Wild was interesting. Is there any truth to JVR to the Red Wings? So I just saw this within the last couple of minutes, and obviously, Lars, appreciate we're we're kind of trying to follow along as we host this show that Seattle and Detroit were said to be upping the ante to try to get James Van Riemsdyk JVR mm -hmm. here, and that to me is interesting because Detroit they came into Ottawa, they came into this building what five days ago, Haley, two teams that were on kind of parallel tracks, and right. Ottawa beats them six two six one. And all of a sudden, Detroit starts selling goodbye Bertuzzi. And, yeah. uh, you, you know, they make a, a series of trades. And Ottawa is a buyer. But would you be confused if JVR went to the Red Wings? Okay, so actually, uh, this Justin from Elliot Friedman hearing JVR to Detroit. So okay. great timing. So, so what do you I think of that? I'm surprised. Yeah. Like, I should have what do you said think? my big answer about why he's a perfect fit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, before then, I yeah. read the news, so I sounded really smart, but I'm trying to be really open and honest with everybody. Yeah. Looks like JVR is going to Detroit. I, I think that makes sense. Um, I think, obviously, they move out Bertuzzi. Uh, they move out Philip Ronick, um, not And uh, Jacob Vrana. Going to move a body in. Like, I wonder what the if there's going to be salary retention involved. I wonder what they're going to be sending back if it's a if it's another roster piece that's going the other way to Philadelphia. I think it's difficult to like fully evaluate the deal without knowing what happens. But I do find it really interesting um, that it's the Red Wings making that move, mostly because we haven't seen the Seattle Kraken do anything yet. And yeah. this is a team that is in playoff position. Uh, they're third in the Pacific right now. Um, 
and they haven't been buying. And the West is up for grabs. The Kraken have been good. Um, it, it's odd to me that Seattle's been really quiet. Um, but I'll need a second. I, I want to see what this return is for Detroit because I'm, I'm very curious. They've been selling and now they're buying. You yeah, know, and, and the biggest name that's been left on the board. Why? What's yeah. what's going on? Well, I I think the message probably from Steve Eiserman is we legitimately have a chance at the playoffs. Like, don't don't count us out because we lost a couple of games uh, in a row here, and 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 you know those were definitive Why losses. Why would you start selling people? I mean, I think they got a great return for uh, Philip. Uh, uh, Ronick, oh, right? Like that, like, like, those were strategic. I, I, I don't think you can say no sure. to that deal. Uh, yeah, they got a good good deal on Bertuzzi, uh, but maybe JVR is a little kind of, I guess, a little sweetener to the Dylan Larkins of the world that are, hey guys, you know what? As we sit here today, uh, Detroit. I'm just looking at double checking here. They're at 65 points, and they got some games in hand. Like the Islanders are holding down the final playoff spot. Mm-hmm. If Detroit wins their games in hand, they're ahead of the Islanders now. Again, a lot of things have to happen, but from a points percentage standpoint, Detroit's right there with the Islanders, with the Sabres, with Ottawa. Yeah. So maybe this is a little bit of a message from Steve Eiserman that, hey, we're not putting up the white flag as much as you think. We're a buyer and a seller, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. It just doesn't make a whole, it doesn't make sense to me because yes, those moves were strategic in the sense that like you you take a look and you see what Tanner Janot is bringing back to Tampa Bay. Um, and, and you understand that, hey, let's get in on this sell high market, but when they were actually firmly in playoff position, like they were in the second wild card spot, they're in the hunt, they're in the playoffs. All the reporting out there was everyone saying, Pat, we're not moving Bertuzzi. He's off the board. And then they lose those games to Ottawa. They drop back and now everyone's for sale. So part of me wonders about this JVR move. Like, is there going to be a deal in the drawer? Like maybe this isn't a rental for James Van Riemsdyk. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me that they are selling off all these assets just to send some back to Philly to bring in a rental player when the East is just a powerhouse. Yeah. Well, and on of, that note, one, yeah. my coffee's here. Oh yeah, this is perfect. You you dip out for your coffee, and I'll yeah. bring in Fluto oh, Shinzawa. Yeah. You're talking about Eastern powerhouses. Hey, uh, Detroit, of course, sending uh, Tyler Bertuzzi to Boston earlier this week. Fluter Shinzawa does a great job covering the Boston Bruins who have lost eight, count them eight times in regulation so far this season. So legitimate Stanley Cup contender. Fluto, uh, first of all, thanks for joining this live edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Hope your uh, deadline day has been going well for you. Quiet. So pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> quiet the Bruins have made all their moves. Exactly. The Bruins have made a, a you know bunch of moves. The Orlov move. and the, you know They've done a lot of things that I think have solidified their position uh, in, into where they are. Now, when they made the trade for Bertuzzi, there's a lot of people that that were like ready to call the shenanigans on Taylor Hall. And this this feels like cap circumvention. And is it convenient timing that Felino and Hall are banged up? Could you give our viewers and, and listeners a little bit of an update just from an injury standpoint on, on, on Taylor Hall and, and how that factored into Don Sweeney at the deadline? Yes, Ian. Um, this the Bertuzzi deal was not really on the front burner for the Bruins. They were monitoring the marketplace, but six days ago in Vancouver, Taylor Hall uh, goes off the ice. Uh, three days later in Calgary, Nick Foligno gets checked into the boards by uh, Nikita Zadorov. He limps off. So there's two left wings out, and Don Sweeney said yesterday that they might not be back uh, in time for the end of the regular season. So that's okay. We don't know the severity of either injury at this point, and, and maybe the Bruins don't know either, but they know enough 
to put Taylor Hall on long-term, uh, 10, 10 games, 24 days. So two left wings. And then Brad Marchand, he gets a skate cut in Edmonton right above the ankle. And then he hurts his knee last night and leaves the game in the second period. So all this goes to show that it's just so dangerous, right, the NHL? And uh, that things can turn so quickly in terms of injuries. So they can put Taylor Hall on long-term, which frees up $6 million in cap space, which allows them to get uh, Tyler Pertuzzi from Detroit. Uh, Tyler practiced today for the first time. He's probably going to play tomorrow against the Rangers on the Bruins' third line with Charlie Coyle and Trent Frederick. So that's a nice complementary wing that can play power play, can play penalty kill. And who knows if Taylor Hall and Nick Lean are out for the uh, rest of the regular season, maybe into the playoffs, then what do we always say? That depth matters. And this is another depth piece for the Bruins, uh, just like they added Orlov and Halfway before. Yeah, and you know, and speaking of Orlov, uh, coming in, what is it, eight points in four games? I love the nickname Bobby Orlov. Uh, can you give us a sense of how how well is Dmitry Orlov just fit in there into Boston? It just feels like a perfect match right now. Sensational. He's been absolutely terrific through four games, playing left side, playing right side, power play, the uh, second power play. He has a real nice one-timer on the power play. Um, and he scored one five-on-five goal in uh, in Calgary right off the, the faceoff. So he's okay. He's got some offense there, but he's he's got some bite. And he plays with some edge. He's a good skater, uh, very smart, some real nice vision. Made a really really high end play in Edmonton against Connor McDavid of all, of all people. McDavid's coming in off the rush. Uh, Orlov stands him up at the blue line, gets the puck, sends it right up to Felino. Felino and Coyle go the other way, and they score on on man rush. So he gives them a whole lot of options. Um, Look, the, the somebody's going to get hurt in, either at the end of the regular season or in the playoffs when it comes to defense, and that's why they brought him in. That uh, they have eight legitimate NHL defensemen now, and they've always had an injury history in the playoffs, like a lot of these teams ha- have done in, in the playoffs on defense. So he's insurance. But right now, he's been second best defenseman after Lindholm after four games. He's a- outstanding pickup. And hi, Fluto. I'm here now. I don't know if Ian tuned you in, but I was waiting for a coffee. coffee. Priorities, Haley. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. But I heard everything you guys were talking about. Um, I know that Orlov has been a great fit. And, you know, ta- uh, you know, Tyler Bertuzzi almost became a necessity for them due to injury. Um, it sounds like the Bruins are still waiting for an update on Nick Felino, I guess the question is, is are the Bruins done? Like if they hear something today where maybe both guys are going to be on LTIR and that'll open up even more cap space. Like, could you see the Bruins doing anything else? Or do you think Don Sweeney's done for the day? He said yesterday, Haley, Don Sweeney said that he's probably done. that They have enough and that yes, uh, depending on what kind of clarity they receive on Felino and Hall, uh, Felino is still on regular IR. So yes, I guess there is that possibility. He's making 3.8 AAV. So you could shift that over to long-term um, and and possibly make another deal. But Don said pretty much yesterday that he's done. So I, I think maybe if there's a depth acquisition out there that makes sense for the Bruins, um, perhaps they would be listening here in the last few minutes. But uh, I think all business, including David Posternock, has been, all family business has been settled for the Bruins. 
You know what? I think it's great that you bring up Pasternak because of all the things that Don Sweeney did at the deadline, let's be honest, locking up uh, arguably the best right winger in the game, certainly in the conversation of the best right winger in the game, a long-term deal was the, uh, the, the best move that I think he made. Can you walk us through how that all kind of came together and why now and why not earlier, you know, earlier in the season? Like, uh, did the Pasternak camp just wait and kind of get to this point, get a little bit more leverage? Absolutely, and that this was hey, this would stress out a lot of players, right? To be going into your contract year and not have a deal done, they would. I'm sure there'd be a lot of players come July 1st of, of that year. They'd be like, "Where's my contract? Where's my pen? Can I sign right now?" Uh, David is not like that. Uh, if you know him at all, he's he's very confident in, in himself. He doesn't take things too seriously. Um, he's kind of a, a free spirit, and I think that helped him uh, this year in terms of his preparation. For uh, this fall, and then once he got started, it just the momentum kept on going for him. And he, uh, he yes, he, he said when he went home at night, he'd be thinking about his deal. But overall, he wasn't stressed about the situation. He knows how good of a player he is, how unique of a goal scorer he is, and how critical he is to the franchise. Because let's face it, it could be as soon as next year that Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci are gone. Brad Marchand soon to go after that. He's 34 years old. So David. Charlie McAvoy, they are the two foundational pillars of this team. So Bruins had, had no choice but to sign and to meet David's price. David was always uh, in control of the negotiations. And Ken Neely said yesterday, hey, the Bruins wish they could have gotten this done a lot sooner. It probably saved them a lot of stress in terms of knowing what that number would be for David and then having a, a better idea of what their budget will be like for not just next year but for the next eight years but yeah this was this was always going to get done this is going to be a big number it could have been an even bigger number for david considering how well he's played and how there is probably still growth left in his game i've got one more for you fluto and and before i do ask that question uh before you came on ian and i were discussing a report from elliot friedman about jvr to detroit it sounds like there's some conflicting reports uh sounds like there's no trade in place at this exact moment in time for James Van Riemsdyk. Um, it looks like the Red Wings are in the process of moving another player to make that happen. Uh, so lots of, I think there's maybe a couple of technicalities. The trade is not done yet. They're not waiting a trade call. So just wanted to get that out there for everyone listening live uh, as we were talking about the JVR Detroit conversation before Fluto came on. Um, but back to the Bruins and you, Fluto. I think for myself, I've been looking at this Bruins team as as the team to beat in the postseason. Uh, I think the way I've described them a few times now is they're giving me uh, extreme, you know, 2016-17, I believe that's the right year, Golden State Warriors vibes. Just like wire-to-wire dominance, you know, brushing, you know, with like historical numbers. Uh, they're going to win the championship, just call it now. But um, I guess my question for you, Fluto, is what is the biggest roadblock for this team, whether it's a team like Carolina or Tampa, Toronto, New Jersey, or um, their health and, and maybe the age of some of these players? Like, Is there a concern that some of these guys that you were just talking about as you know they're going to be aging next season? Is that a concern heading into the postseason for for Boston, or do you think they're just going to be full steam ahead until they win a Stanley Cup here? No, these are all terrific points, Haley, in terms of, A, the health, right? If, if three guys go down, then it's a whole different story. And this is a good reminder. 
all in Felino. That that this was within three days, four days that those guys go down with long term injuries, and then Brad gets banged up twice. So it, it just shows how quickly things can turn. And yes, this has been discussed in terms of uh, managing their their older players. That this is going to be a grind uh, toward the end. And Bruins don't care about results at this point. They're so far ahead of Toronto second place in the division that points don't matter. So, yes, they will be resting, especially on back-to-backs with travel. Uh, Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci, maybe Brad Marchand. Um, so they'll, they'll get their breathers. Um, that, that's the, probably the biggest concern in terms of just health, overall injuries, well-being in terms of some of these older players. They're just Let's face it, they just don't bounce back like they used to before. Um, but in terms of opponents, I, I think there's just one team that's given this team the Bruins hiccups, and that's been Carolina. Um, not just this year, but this is a team that beat them last year in the playoffs. So for whatever reason, speed, physicality, tenaciousness, um, they, they've they been all over the Bruins, um, dating back to last year too. Um, so maybe that's the team that scares them. But overall, it's just one team that I've seen that can legitimately say, okay, maybe this keep the Bruins up at night because they've been They've been such a machine, just so deep. Like, what team has two goalies like Allmark and Swayman? Uh, what team has two number one defensemen like Lindholm and McAvoy? What team has Bergeron and Krejci making $3.5 million total on their cap hit? Uh, it's just amazing what this team has done, how the GM has uh, rebuilt this team on the fly, how first-year coach and Jim Montgomery has, has come in and expressed even more than what Bruce Cassidy has done. So... Uh, I don't see any team being able to contend with the Bruins. Uh, obviously, the East is going to be a grind for, for anybody, but yeah, Bruins are the team to be. Well, listen, Fluto, it's, uh, it's been great having you on this live edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, Trade Deadline Special. I know today was quiet for you, but last few days certainly haven't. We've loved your coverage, and we look forward to all your coverage down the stretch of the Bruins as they try and chase down maybe 120, 125 points, something like that. Thanks for this, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you again real soon. Okay, guys. See ya. Thanks, Fluto. There goes Fluto Shinzawa. Uh, Yeah, the Boston Bruins. um, Golden State vibes, maybe, Haley, but they lost, right? The year that they won 73 regular season games. That's why I said 2016-17. So I'm talking about the year where they didn't, they weren't historic. They just won the championship. So it was the year after they had the seven-loss season or whatever it was. And then they went and won a championship the next year. So they weren't quite record-breaking, but they still dominated wire to wire it's interesting that fluto brought up carolina as the team that could kind of flirt with them you know they give the bruins a lot of trouble i've been waiting for the carolina hurricanes to maybe do something a little bit more at this deadline and we're seven minutes away from the deadline i'm still waiting oh and by the way jvr to uh detroit not happening wow we just took people on a needless uh Needless it's a good thing I said there. it didn't make any sense. Maybe. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, he was watching and he was exactly. like, you're right. He he you're been, yeah. agent. He's like, anyways, man, I really just made a great waiting. point. Yeah. <laughs> well, Hey, listen, uh, there's a lot of people who thought the Boston Bruins in the off season should have underdone a rebuild, right? Like they were at the end. It felt who like they were compa- that? a lot of people thought they weren't going to make the playoffs go back and they changed the coach. Bergeron was a question mark to come back. Everybody thought that they, Boston, Boston, Pittsburgh, Washington, go back and read it. Everyone thought that they were at the end of their competitive cycles. They obviously didn't. And that was the wise move. Chicago, though, they did. 
Um, they decided it's time to blow it up. They said goodbye to Alex DeBrincat in the offseason. Uh, and then, obviously, goodbye to Patrick Kane. And let's bring in Mark Lazarus. Does a great job covering Chicago uh, for us. And uh, speak for yourself. Live from the playroom. <laughs> Live from the playroom. Sorry, Mark there's Lazarus. nothing happening. I'm trying. Uh, you know, I, 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 I just want to. I was listening to you guys with Fluto, and uh, the last two teams that were as good as the Bruins are, right, were the what the 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 Lightning that won like 60 games and lost in the first round, and the 2013 Blackhawks who started out 21-0-3. They won yep. the cup, but they almost lost in the second round. They were down three-one to a mediocre Detroit team. Had to win in overtime of Game Seven. This is the Stanley Cup playoffs, like. The Bruins have like a 20% chance at best of winning the Stanley Cup because hockey's just so stupid like that. So I let's all pump the brakes a little bit on the yeah. Bruins. This has been a humbling week for me and my Bruins are going to go wire to wire. Take I mean, they're awesome. They, they should. Off and getting hurt, I was like, ooh. In a just world, the Bruins would go wire to wire. They're clearly the best team. Uh-huh. And Carolina's awesome and, and it's always like a good team. It's, it's not even close, but that's just not how this sport works. No, we don't get fun things. Uh, what's it been like, Laz, dealing with, you know, obviously this wasn't the biggest deal of the deadline in terms of the return, which is kind of wild to see Patrick Kane not bring in a haul. I understand that he's been hurt. I understand that he hasn't had the stat line this season, but I feel like there wasn't a player with a better resume available at the deadline this season. Uh, what's the whole Patrick Kane saga been like for you, Laz, and then watching him obviously debut on Broadway last night against the Sens? Well, it's been excruciating because we've been talking about it for like a year and a half now. So <laughs> uh, in some respects, I'm just glad it's over with. Right. But uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's kind of weird how the Blackhawks traded the greatest player in team history. And I do believe he's the greatest player in team history. Uh, and they got, you know, a second rounder, a conditional second rounder and a fourth rounder for him. And that's actually pretty good considering that they had no leverage whatsoever, that Kane only wanted to go to New York and that Chris Drury knew he only wanted to go to New York. I mean, Kyle Davidson did a decent job of getting what he got, but what he got was awful. I mean, Patrick Kane was supposed to be the piece that that really kickstarted this whole rebuild, right? He's going to bring in a, a first round pick, a, a high end prospect. Jonathan Taves was going to get you a second rounder, at least something like that, because who wouldn't want Jonathan Taves as their third line center? And now Taves is off the table because, you know, he's dealing with long COVID. We don't know when he's going to play again, if he's going to play again. And Kane got you a middling return. I mean, we've seen like, what, eight, nine, ten first-round picks uh, handed out this year for mediocre defensemen. And Patrick freaking Kane can't get you more than a second-rounder. I mean, that's the power of the no-movement clause. And, you know, Kyle Davidson's done a good job. He's got a first-rounder and four second-rounders, I think, so far this deadline. But it's hard to look at this as anything but a failure because you traded Patrick Kane and you got very little for it. Mm-hmm. But but it's kind of like Giroux last year. He was, Claude yeah. Giroux was like, I'm only going, like you said, I'm only going here, uh, what, Florida, Colorado maybe, that was it. And, it. and it's tough. But but overall, did Kyle Davidson do what he wanted to do with this roster uh, last? Because obviously uh, Max Domi went as well, but they're stripping it down. They've made no bones about it. We all knew that was going to happen. Did he... Did he kind of shed everything that you thought he would shed? I know we're almost at three o'clock, so maybe there's something else to come. But how would you grade uh, Davidson at the deadline in clearly in a, in a seller's mode? Can if I the, add one thing too? Sorry. Yes. Claude Giroux at least got the Flyers a first round pick. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, if right. Kyle Davidson's goal was to make the worst team in the history of the NHL for these last 21 games, and it kind of was his goal, he succeeded. I mean, in the last, what, 10 months, he's traded Alex DeBrinkett, uh, Kirby Doc. He let Dylan Strom walk. He let uh, Dominic Kubalik walk. 
Uh, he traded Patrick Kane. He traded Jake McCabe. He traded Sam Lafferty. He traded Jack. I mean, everybody on the roster. Like, it's Connor Murphy and Seth Jones looking around the room like, dude, what happened? Where did everybody go? <laughs> I mean, this is going to be an absolutely – and even their best prospects are going to spend the next month in Rockford because getting them playoff experience in the AHL is more important than winning in the NHL. Obviously, they want to lose. They're trying to get Connor Bedard. They're trying to be as bad as humanly possible, and they still have to, quote-unquote, catch up to the Blue Jackets, right? They're not even the worst team in the league right now by, by points or points percentage. So they got some room to go because they won too many games this year with this lineup. Uh, but there's a quarter of the season left, and oh my God, the roster they had at practice today. Uh, it's hard to imagine any team losing to this team, frankly. And, and it's hockey, again, it's a dumb sport. Things will happen. There's Peter Morazic or Alex Daylock are competent goalies who will steal a game here or there. But with 21 games left, it wouldn't shock me to see the Hawks win two or three of them. Mm-hmm. I guess last one from me, Laz, is why is Chicago the ideal destination for Connor Bedard? Because it seems like we're heading in that direction. So let's just let's just get the good vibes going in that. To get the tinfoil hat on that they're going to uh-huh. chill the ping pong balls and all that, Patrick Ewing style. Um, I mean, obviously the league would love for him to be in Chicago. Chicago, you know, for for 12 years there, whatever it was, was a huge moneymaker, the biggest moneymaker in the States for the league. The, the league is better off when Chicago is good. When Chicago is bad, it's bad for the league. So obviously Bedard coming to Chicago and re-energizing the hockey city and selling, I mean, they, they've done a good job selling tickets this year and selling jerseys and stuff, but, you know, people were still buying Kane and Taves jerseys. Then nobody's buying a Seth Jones jersey. Nobody's buying an Andreas Fantasiu jersey. So. <laughs> Uh, if they get Bedard, that's great. I mean, you can make an argument that Columbus, it would be great to have Bedard with Goudreau and, and build that up as a, as a market. It would be great to have him in Southern California and Anaheim. It'd be great to have him in Arizona uh, with the new arena coming in a few years. But I think if the league had its druthers, Chicago is clearly the number one choice where they would want to place Connor Bedard. Because when Chicago Chicago was, I mean, how many how many freaking NBC sports games did Chicago have over those years where they were on top? <laughs> every single Wednesday night, they were Wednesday night rivalry against some random Eastern conference team that right. they couldn't care about because they just wanted Chicago on TV. Mm-hmm. The league likes Chicago to be good. The league wants Chicago to be good. So if you got your tinfoil hat on, that's a good one. There we go. All right, Laz, we'll leave it there. Appreciate you dropping by uh, this, uh, this live show. Thanks for this man. And uh, I'm sure we'll get you again real soon. All right. Good luck uh, making this interesting for another hour. Uh, there we go. Only goes. a few more minutes. Well, yes. Well, I can tell well, you, uh, we've got some minor deals that have come through here. Ottawa and has just All of acquired, them, my questions are why. Uh, Ottawa has just acquired Patrick Brown from the Flyers for a sixth-round pick. Uh, he's a centerman. Uh, there, there, there's a couple of other little deals he's here that guy. are starting to... to, to, to <laughs> he's a guy. Uh, Troy Stetcher uh, to Calgary from Arizona uh, appears to be a done deal. Um, so, look, these are these are some minor deals, and, and we'll try to get to the Troy bottom Stetcher of the game. Troy Stetcher is an NHL defender. That's a, that's a statement. That's an accurate, uh, valid statement. Anyway, uh, tell you what, Sean Gentilly is standing by on the other side. We're going to take a little break. we got a bunch of comments we're going to get to from our viewers and listeners, too. So we'd love it if you uh, hopped in. Fire away. Any questions you have for myself, Haley, Sean Gentilly, uh, James Myrtle coming up at about a quarter past the hour. So just fire them in there. We'll take a break. We'll be back on the other side with Sean Gentilly. All right. So we're officially now past 3 o'clock Eastern time. Now, we do want to caution our, our viewers and uh, listeners that at times these deals can trickle in. So maybe in 20 minutes, 40 minutes, there might be a few more uh, things happening. Uh, but is there an update here on the, on the JVR saga 
he was looked like he was going on the move and he wasn't. Is there any clarity on that here, Haley? So it looks like he's just not getting dealt by the deadline. Whatever was possible did not end up getting finalized or uh, consummated with the Detroit Red Wings. I hate when people use that terminology. I just read it from Elliot Friedman. There has to be a better way to say that. Engineer, engineer the trade. Yeah. The trade wasn't engineer, whatever. Bill, okay. Anyways, uh, JVR not being moved at the deadline, which is really great stuff from the Flyers. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I, I promised I said the snark factor would have to rise significantly with our next guest. So let's bring him in. Sean Gentilly does um, a lot of – boy, he's like the jack of all trades. Anytime there's a, a column to be written, uh, kind of looking at an issue in the league – or it's time to take a sharp knife to the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's our guy. He's one. Actually, there's no shortage of people at the Athletic taking a sharp knife to the Pittsburgh. Going to say, I'm like, I'm part of a four-man Ron Hextall assassin squad at this point. It's unbelievable. All I tweeted earlier was the Penguins confused me in that. That blew up. People mm-hmm. were like, no, me too. I'm it's so the Ron. Relatable. It's the Ron Hextall pylon, baby. Like they had a, you know, he did a did a, made a couple minor moves today that would have looked. A little bit better had it not been for the Grandland uh, catastrophe a couple of days ago. Yeah, still well, I'll digging what, out let, from that here. Let, 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 I mean, let's start there because we we did get a question from Corey. I don't know about ten minutes ago, fifteen minutes ago. Corey had asked us, "Has anybody had a worse deadline so far than the Pittsburgh Penguins?" So now that we've gotten to three o'clock, Sean, what's the answer? Has anybody had a worse deadline than Ron Hextall and the Pittsburgh uh, Pittsburgh Penguins? No, <laughs> they're at the bottom of the list. Uh, the, the the ironic part, I think, about the stuff that they did today, which is adding Nick Benino and uh, moving out Brock McGinn's contract, for which they took Dmitry Kulikov, who's you know a spare part at this point. Those are reasonable, functional moves where they cleared cap space, right? Brock McGinn, signed by Ron Hextall, by the way, first free agency signing when he took over the job, was going to make two point seven five million dollars a year for the next two years. Huge, huge issue. A uh, huge wrench in the works. Part of the part of the cap problems that they've had over the last couple of weeks. So he's out. He's off the books. That's a good move. Nick Benino, beloved teammate. Mike Sullivan loves him. Loves him more than <laughs> he's at the top of Mike Sullivan's uh, pet list for sure. So like all all these, these these are all positive things, right? But it's all just nuked by the fact that um, their big ad, their big five million dollar ad, was a you know, one of the worst defensive players in the league and a guy who doesn't really fix any, any issues and also makes that much money for the next two years. So yeah, Hexel's at the bottom of the list. Number 32 out of 32. It seems like they did so well to move all that money off the books, just mm-hmm. to do all of that with it. Like they did the hardest part. Like somebody took Kasperi Kaffinen. How many times did we talk about on our show? Like the penguins don't have assets that other teams want and Somehow they found a way to move money out. They found a way to open up space to just do this. This frenzied couple days, right? Where they wave capping in. Everybody rolled their eyes at that because it was like, who would who would want him? And that was mainly people who've watched him here over the last couple of years. You can't imagine, you know, any other team taking a flyer on him. So it goes, blues do. They bail out Hextall in, in that regard. So, you know, good for him. But then after that, it turns into you know, waving McGinn and waving Mark Friedman and trading Teddy Bluger out of nowhere a couple days ago to Vegas, which is when it seemed like they were in on Jacob Checker. And I think that's probably a fair 
set of dots to connect that they were that they wanted to have at least the available space. The end result there again is, you know, subtracting another piece from their bottom six. They lost three out of their six everyday uh, bottom six forwards in a matter of twenty four hours. That is part of this crazy, you know, cap clearing spree that 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 they want that they went on. And, and the end result is a team that I don't think is 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 meaningfully better in any way at all. Okay, um, we're talking about which, which you know some teams that have had poor deadlines or whatever. And it's funny because at one point JT Miller's name was linked with Pittsburgh, and that was the everyone was like, wow, like unbelievable if Pittsburgh and Vancouver could get together. I think the, the Twitter would, uh, would melt down. Um, what do we think of Vancouver? Like, how do we, how do we really truly view the Canucks right now? Sean? <laughs> like mid midway through talking about Hextall and the Penguins and kind of putting them at the bottom of the list. I thought maybe that was my, um, like whatever the reverse of a hometown bias is. I feel like that was, that was maybe in play there because what the Canucks have done, I mean, they've, you know, they're, have they lost the plot? Was there a plot for them to lose? I think adding a player like Hironik, who's a good player, he's a second pair defenseman. He's in the midst of one of his best seasons, you know, at least when he wasn't paired with Ben Chirot. Um, he's been good. And on a lot of other teams, he'd be a meaningful add. But, you know, this is just more proof, I think, that they can't do a rebuild. They won't do a rebuild. Where that comes from, whether whether it's the owner, doesn't matter at this point. But yeah, their uh, their time frame's out of whack, right? And, it, and I think the reason that people responded as badly as they did, especially in Vancouver is that with the Bo Horvat trade, uh, getting that, that first round pick back, just some, some of the stuff that went on before the last week, it seemed like maybe they realized what their time frame was, right. That, that, that they realized that going out and getting 25, 26, 27 year olds, wasn't going to help. And then they go and completely do a 180 from, from, from that mindset and in the Hronik deal. So yeah, if, if they're not, if they're not 31st, uh, in, in the league in terms of what they've done at the deadline, they're, they're tied, they're tied with Pittsburgh for sure. What do you think about one of the other deals that, I mean, one of the other, one of the few deals that went down today, uh, it was Jordan Greenway to the Buffalo Sabres for a second and a third. Seems yeah. like a lot for a guy who at least in the last year or so hasn't brought a whole lot to the table offensively. He is a good defensive player. He can take on tough minutes. I'm sure that's something that the Sabres are coveting if they're mm-hmm. giving up that much for Jordan Greenway. But what do you think about, about that deal today? He's an interesting player because there aren't a lot of guys who are, who are six, six in the league at this point. Right. So you, so you can add that check next to his name. Okay, cool. Physically really impressive. Had, you know, some production last year on that Marcus Foligno, Joel Eric's neckline. He was the, he was the third guy though. It should be said, right. Those other, those other two guys did it, did a little bit more on, on the grief line as, as Russo called them, uh, than, um, than, than, than Greenway did, but man, he's of a type. We know what kind of guys the Sabres like, and, and we know that they can make it work. Right? I'm not going to compare him to Tage Thompson, right? Because Tage Thompson was, He's he's a little younger. He certainly showed a little bit more production, I think, than than Greenway has offensively to this point in his uh, in his in his NHL career. But it's also impossible not to see some shared DNA there. He's six six. He's a U.S. National Development Team uh, alum. He's a Don Granado guy. Like <laughs> I'm not saying that he's going to turn into you know human highlight reel, Rocket Richard potential <laughs> winner, uh, Tage Thompson, but you know. I don't know. I, I get it. It's a major price to pay, but the guy has the physical traits that 
that, that Buffalo looks for. So I'm maybe I'm a little higher on that than other people. And look, we were wondering too, like, is Buffalo going to do anything because they're on the, the, the cusp of that playoff picture? As you look at that, and it's kind of a six team, arguably seven, but certainly six teams are in the mix there, uh, Sean, for two wildcard spots. You got Pittsburgh at 71, the Islanders at 70, Buffalo 66, Ottawa 66, Florida 66, uh, Detroit and Washington, or Washington 66, Detroit 65. Mm-hmm. They're all there. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I had to ask you right now, on trade deadline day, you have to pick two of them that are mm-hmm. making the playoffs. Who do you, who do you got? I still like the Penguins to sneak in and get stomped in the first round by whoever they played. Like that's that's where I've been at uh, with them all season. So I'll, I'll go there, and I'm just not ready to write. I, I don't know if I don't know if the Panthers are going to make it, but I'm not ready to write them off either. I think they've got they've still got pieces. Bobrovsky has played well. There's a level of urgency with that team. Uh, because of the fact that you know they dumped their first round pick in the Bedard draft for uh, for for Ben Chirot. so I'll go off the board. I'll say them. They don't like it's it's not an Islanders situation where the Islanders you know yes they're they're in that spot for now, but they have a ton of games in hand. They every team has games in hand on on them rather. And uh, and Matt Barzell is you know hurt for the next however long. So I'll go I'll go Pittsburgh and I'll go Florida. I'll say that both those teams get get stomped by whoever they play in the first round. A uh, little bit of news here, guys. Sorry to to change the subject, but it looks like the full Calgary Arizona trade is Troy Stetcher and Nick Ritchie for Connor Mackey and Brett Ritchie. <laughs> That's super fun. Uh, <sighs> and then the big one, obviously, I'm bearing the lead here. It looks like John Klingberg has been traded to the Minnesota Wild. Ducks got the deal in just under the wire. I guess that's why Minnesota is getting like they opened up cap space with Greenway mm-hmm. uh, and now they can get John Klingberg uh, in the books. Do we like that fit for, for the Minnesota wild? Is that what they really needed to do at the deadline? Uh, no, <laughs> they still need a center. <laughs> okay. Oscar Sunkvist is, you know, he's fine. He's a, he's a guy he, he can contribute on, on a fourth line, but the Wilds problems for as fun as they've been to watch for as well as Billy Garen's, you know, maneuvered here, their, their, their minuses are still their minuses, right? They, they, they haven't added where they've needed to add and that's, you know, down the middle. So we'll see what happens down the stretch. Can Marco Rossi work his way back in the lineup? I mean, whatever, same question we've been asking about them for, for the last, however long, but no, they just, they, they still don't have enough down the middle. And until the, until they fix that, you know, I can't take them all that seriously. Yeah, I mean, and they kind of soured on Matt Dumba. It feels like, mm-hmm. right? But, but, but if you're Anaheim, if you go back to the start we've of the season, about I, that guy getting traded for years. Yeah, Matt Dumba is like he's going to be the new Jake Chikrin, right? Or, or, or it's yeah. like, okay, we're tired. Although he's on. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm glad that Dumba saga with Minnesota is finally going to end. Like, yeah. like his, yeah, like they, they, it's been years. Yeah, it has it's been years. They, they held on to him. He's a UFA after all this, and you know, good because we can all we we can all move on and take him off the trade boards wherever he ends up because it's it's um, been it's been a long time coming do, do you guys think the klingberg situation is going to be a cautionary tale for free agents moving forward i think a lot of us thought you know john klingberg didn't get the long term hey i'm gonna sign a one-year deal i'm gonna take you know whatever we got seven million but i'm gonna kind of bet on myself i'm gonna have a big year and then i'm gonna get moved and then and anaheim was probably thinking you know maybe we can get a, a good asset for john Absolutely. klingberg at the deadline Mm-hmm. Do you think that other teams will now look at this and players as free agents be like, no, nah, I don't want to sign a one-year deal. You would imagine. I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's going to 
it is a cautionary tale. I don't, it's tough to tell people not to bet on themselves though, right? Like if they have that mindset, if they're like, I'm going into year one, into this last year, signing a one year deal or whatever, if they're that focused on, on the, on the rise and grind mindset, I, I don't, I don't think you're nec- I don't think you're going to talk them out of it, but man, for a team, I think that's a, that's a cautionary tale. Not that the ducks had all that much wrapped up in it, but they clearly thought they were going to be able to sign him, gas him up, play him on a power play, give him a bunch of five on five time with Zegers and whoever else, and then flip him at the deadline for something meaningful. And it just hasn't, it just hasn't worked out that way. You know what? We're actually going to, we're, we're going to do a quick trade here. I know he's, he's not here yet, but I got to step out. So just to, again, this is a live show. Uh, mm-hmm. Since general manager, Pierre Dorian is going to speak in about 10 minutes. So I got to leave my perch in the press box and I'm going to leave uh, this show in the very capable hands of the two of you. Okay. Great. Okay. So I, we're I, waiting I, on, we're so waiting on Myrtle. He isn't quite here yet, but I would like to say yeah, that in honor of the Toronto Maple Leafs, big last hour move, Maple Leafs added a guy six, 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 seven redeems Horna in a trade with, in a trade with Calgary. We are adding our own six foot six, six foot seven player here in James Myrtle. In James Myrtle. When he comes in. Tall. Yeah, he is. He's like six, five, whatever he is. Right. He's, he's, he's a tall guy. So he's, seven, two. That's going to be taller than I am. <laughs> that's going to be the trades. All right. So we want to see some Friday chemistry here. Okay. Friday vibes. Oh, I'm so tired though. My God. I've, I've been, I've been typing all day, Ian. This is unreasonable. All right. Listen, I'm going to get out of here. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, both of Absolutely. you. This was, uh, this was great. Even, even though this uh, trade deadline was a little bit flat, this was, uh, this was a lot of fun. So thanks for doing this. Totally. Thanks Bye. for having me. Goodbye. Goodbye, Ian. I hope he uh, hope someone sends me the script I have to say later. Danielle. That's you should, ta- you should probably talk in your microphone. Can you not hear me? I think that would be a great I idea. Yeah, it. there you are. <laughs> Things are going swimmingly since Ian has left the show. Um, looking at the Klingberg conversation, though, we did get a comment in here. As we wait for Myrtle, there's lots of comments uh, in coming in live here on the stream. Um, but with Klingberg, it was, you know, Klingberg didn't really bet on himself. Like his agent mm-hmm. just kind of was... fumbled the bag. Like yep. that, that's, I think that's the, <laughs> he fired his agent. He got a new yes. agent. So that's the cautionary tale is like, don't wait that long and play your hand the way that you did. Cause he still made $7 million this year. So I don't think John Klingberg's, a cautionary tale for anyone. Maybe he left some money on the table because he's not, he wasn't very good this year. So he's probably leaving money on the table long-term because his next deal probably won't be for $7 million. Uh, If you're a player who bets on yourself, just make sure you're trending in the right direction. And that just hasn't been true for John Klingberg for the the last however many years, right? Like he hasn't, he wasn't playing in the same role in Dallas for a reason. And I get, I get why maybe he, he or, or his or his agent thought that thought that this would work out. Like you want players to have confidence in themselves, but mm-hmm. man, you look at, at the way he was trending as an individual. We knew that the Ducks were going to be terrible. Maybe not quite as bad as as they have been. You got to be careful if you're going to bet on yourself. You gotta you gotta make sure that the situation's right, and you certainly got to make sure you're getting good advice from representation. Clearly, John Klingberg didn't think so. He's moved on. You know, he moved on really after that disaster of a, yeah. of a of a free agency tour and over, over the summer right mm-hmm. uh, a couple more comments we got in here and this was something that i brought up in the live blog it was something that i brought up on the show already the seattle kraken were one of the teams that were rumored to be poking around on john klingberg uh the kraken 
come to the deadline. And now, of course, things could sneak under the wire. They don't mm-hmm. get announced yet. Like that always happens. But it's 319 Eastern uh, and the Seattle Kraken didn't really buy. And they also didn't sell off some of the um, pending free agents that they have on the board right mm-hmm. now. Kraken just didn't do anything. And I'm kind of okay with that. I think obviously the West is is open to win and the Kraken are in a playoff position. But I also think that this is a team and, and Ron Francis is a GM. We know he values his assets and his cap space. And I don't think that Ron Francis was going to do anything to sacrifice everything that they built um, coming through the expansion draft, right? Yeah, they're very good this year, but it's still only year two of the organization and they do not want to be getting rid of all of the assets that they did all that work at the the expansion draft to get just for, for what? Mm-hmm. To, to try to... Have a good I think there's, I think there probably was a middle ground. I think there was probably a middle ground for them where like, you don't have to, you're, we're not talking about trading Shane Wright or, you know, anything crazy like that. They're where I was interested in seeing if JVR would be an option, right? A team like them, a team like Colorado, we do, we have a comment from Graham. who's the Avs fan. He's asking why that, why they didn't add a middle six winger. I think you can lump them into the JVR mix. That's a place where he would have made a lot of sense. It seemed like both weren't were uh, were, were, were in on him in, in some capacity. Who knows what Philly's asking price was? It clearly was something that no team was willing to meet on a player who, yes, his statistics this year are brutal. A lot of that has to do with the environment he's playing in. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think he, he's a guy, even though he's 34, and I say this is a 37-year-old man who's at, talking about JVR like he's – you know, a mummy or something, which is, which is, which is ridiculous. But I think you could have added him to a lineup and kind of seen kind of, he seemed like a prime rejuvenation candidate, right. For, for a playoff run. So I was interested in seeing him end up with Colorado and Seattle in particular, but clearly that didn't come to pass. So yeah, I I think there is, there is a middle ground where, you know, second round pick, third round pick, whatever, where you could have nodded towards the playoff run that you're on or the or the, the playoff push that you're trying to make if you're seattle or, or, or whoever else um and then without like actually trying to sell the farm and i think jvr would have been a great candidate there and now here we are 322 it doesn't seem like we went anywhere and we do have james myrtle standing by finally he is here wow it's time finally, finally. we is had this the end for 315 eastern James, you have okay. uh, six minutes and 40 seconds to talk about whatever you're going to talk about here. So make oh, it count. Let's go. I'm, I'm here to talk about whatever you guys want me to talk yeah. about. I'm, I'm uh, ready. We've been left, so we have no uh, – we've got no notes. I'm just kidding. That's not true. I'm just joking. Uh, well, I think the Leafs are done, if that's, if that's yeah. your first question. It sounds like today was a nothing burger for them, so – well, they got a lot of their heavy lifting done already, right? Like today was it okay to be a bit of a dud? Like, did you think that they left something unchecked, James? Because they get the top six forward, they get a bottom six forward, they they check a box uh, on their blue line. Like, what else were you maybe thinking the Leafs could get up to today? Mm, I mean, uh, what a lot of people were looking at is that first round pick they got from Washington for Sandy. Mm-hmm. Were they going to do something with that? Were they going to flip that for? I don't know. I mean, the the thing is, like, the Leafs brought in six players. Like, how many more players can you can yeah. you even integrate six players properly in twenty games? That's going to be the real 
test for Sheldon Keefe to get them ready for the playoffs is you got all these guys who have never played together. You know, basically most of their lines are new. Most of their deep pairings are brand new and you're getting ready to face Tampa Bay in, you know, six weeks. So I said that to, I said that to Dom yesterday, right? Like how many more guys do you want to incorporate in, in the lineup there? I, I know that they have that first round pick from, uh, from Washington. I know that they have more defensemen now than they certainly did a week ago. So it seemed like they were uh, adding assets to maybe add to the, to, to the, to the third line or whatever the plan was there. But at some point you got to be done. Right. And, and I, I think, you know, it made sense for it, for them to find themselves in that spot today. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the only thing that I might quibble with is like maybe get another depth goaltender. Cause you don't mm-hmm. know what's going on with, with Matt Murray and Samsonov's young and inexperienced. And, but I don't know, like I thought maybe they could get like a Thomas Grice or like some sort of number three option. Mm-hmm. Cause Murray's played 19 games this year. Like I don't, I don't even know he's on this trip here and he's probably going to, he's supposed to be back at some point, but you know, he's, he's one, you know, sprained ankle away from not being available in the playoffs. And then all of a sudden you've got Joseph Wool, who's, you know, barely played in the NHL is going to be your backup. So that would be the only thing that I think they could have done differently. Mm-hmm. And he, he looked okay yesterday. Um, but I feel he's like had a great year. Yeah. yeah he's had it, a great, he's had a great season. So it seemed like Dubas has kind of made the choice on who the goalie tandem is going to be. And, and they're going to stick with that. Yeah, I mean, I think they're still high on Matt Murray, despite the fact that he's barely played the last two years. I still think that they think he's going to come in and play really well over the last month of the season, win back the starting role and start on the first game of the playoffs. But, mm-hmm. you know, we've been waiting for that. We've yeah. been waiting for that all year. And I mean, the thing, too, is that Samson has outplayed him when he's when he has played. So I don't know how they could go back to Murray, but it, they still they still seem pr- pretty high on him. So we'll see what happens. I mean, it's. If they end up going out in the first round again, the goaltending is going to be something that everyone's going to be talking about because they didn't have very much cap space last summer and they spent what little they had, $4.7 million on Matt Murray, and he's barely been able to play. So mm-hmm. um, that that limited like I, how much more dramatically they could they could make over the roster. Like I just, you know, you, you get Ryan O'Reilly on the double retention and you get Jake McCabe on, on half retention for m- more than two years. I mean, I think those are both great moves and then everything else is depth. Mm-hmm. And I we'll get, and I don't the Sandine thing doesn't surprise me either because I yeah. don't think he didn't want to be here. Mm-hmm. You know, he certainly didn't want to be here as a number seven. He was mm-hmm. he wasn't going to be happy, and he wasn't going to be the kind of guy if someone got hurt and you put him in the lineup that was going to be ready to go. So mm-hmm. we saw all six of the new faces in the lineup last night against the Calgary Flames. Uh, Luke Shen and Eric Gustafson made their debuts, but that was the first time we saw all six. And obviously now we know that the deadline's over and the Leafs haven't done anything else. This is their roster. This is what they're working with. There's going to be some changes like who's in the lineup, who's out and who slots and where, but this is what the Leafs are going to look like down the stretch and into the playoffs, James. Um, I think one of the biggest questions, at least for me, is where do you see the right fit for Ryan O'Reilly? I am still Personally torn, I wrote about it in the the Leafs report cards last night. I don't know where he fits best. Like, I guess it just depends. Do you want Ryan O'Reilly to be part of like a productive top six, or do you want him to be the the center for a really good matchup line against the Tampa Bay Lightning in the postseason? I suspect they're probably going to put him on third line center and and use him in a shutdown role. But the the issue is that if you put him there whoever he's playing with there, it's, they're probably not going to be a line that can generate offense. Right. So, you know, personally, I, 
I was at the game in Seattle and they looked fantastic. And then they go into Edmonton and they look brutal. So, you know, there's still a learning curve there for what they're going to do with the lines. But in Seattle, watching them play, it was like the Leafs had two first lines, basically, with the the magic that, that Marner and Matthews were creating. And then they, you roll out Tavares and, and, and Nylander and O'Reilly, and it's like, wow, like, this is really impressive. So I think that they have something there. And I wonder, you know, in the playoffs, it could be you see a little bit of both. You know, maybe they go back and forth. Maybe they have one look in at home and one look on the road. That could be something that that they attempt to do. But right. You put O'Reilly in the top six, and then all of a sudden you got David Camp in your third line, probably not getting a lot of offense there, probably not getting a lot of offense from your fourth line. And that's been a problem. Last year against Tampa in the first round, Tampa's bottom six greatly outplayed Toronto's, especially offensively, and it was one mm-hmm. of the differences in the series. John, you still there? Oh yeah, we're all still here. I'm focused, I'm focused, I'm focused on the news of the. Of yeah, it does the, look we, we got like... the we got the Klingberg return. Joe yeah. Smith, Joe Smith reporting this. The Ducks are okay. getting a fourth in 2025. Andre Schuster, who I forgot was still in the league, in the rights to Nikita Nestorenko, who Corey Proman texted me. He says Nestorenko is a very just okay prospect. That's how Corey yeah. termed it. Okay. And apparently they weren't going to sign him anyways. Uh, and the Ducks get to retain half. On Klingberg, so this not much, no, not much. They thought yeah. they were going. They thought they were going to get a, a first round, and they retained for basically a fourth round pick and some well, roster flotsam Kling, and jetsam. So yeah, didn't Kling, work out. Klingberg, Klingberg, like a lot of ducks, had a terrible season. So it kind of it's amazing. It is amazing how bad every duck's numbers are. Like I when it we went into that when we were looking at, at Kulikov because because Kulikov is a guy who you knew was going to move in some capacity. He was, you know an effective player for, for the last couple of years ends up in Anaheim playing on a terrible team, playing big boy minutes, you know, against top lines, he got caved in. And that's true for shoot. That's true. That's true for Klingberg. And it's true for a lot of other guys in that roster. So it's amazing. You're Klingberg and, you know, he's negotiating with Dallas for that long contract and they, they come to an impasse and then all of a sudden, you know, like how much money did he leave on the table? Like he's never yeah. going to get back to where the numbers were when he would like, it's, it's incredible. So, and if what happened in Anaheim is really his value, then Dallas dodged a huge bullet with that one. I think that's kind of what I was getting at earlier when, when we were talking about, was he wrong to bet on himself, whatever that that's almost beside the point. Um, the guy who he was for the last couple of years in Dallas combined with what we've seen from an, from him in Anaheim, like this is just, this is just who he is now. There's not, not a lot of meat left on that bone. So yeah, he should have fired his agent because he lost tens of millions of dollars that it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like he's going to be able to recoup. Yeah. And it's in this like flat cap environment, guys have to be really careful about going to the mm-hmm. wall and negotiations over not that much money comparatively mm-hmm. speaking when there's a big long-term deal on the table. Cause you can end up in a situation like this. So Pretty incredible. Is there uh is there a team that kind of disappointed you at the deadline, James, in terms of like making bad moves or not doing anything at all? I didn't like what Vancouver did. I mean, I know that that's not that's not really like a hot take, but you know, I did just I don't understand. And there was a report, I think Darren Drager reported that um they had a JT Miller, I don't know if it was a conversation or a trade that was gonna and, the, and they turned it down because they wanted like a, a roster player, not picks back. I mean, I think the, the situation that Vancouver's in, they, they should disappear that, that JT Miller contract for futures as quickly as they can. But it, it seems like whether it's it's the new management or it's ownership or whatever, they're not living in the reality of what's happening there where 
they're not going to be competitive. They're not going to be a quick turn team, but they keep acting like one. So, you know, and I would be really wary of being any general manager and going into a trade negotiation with Steve Eiserman, you know, and he's trying to, he's trying to, he's trying to give you a, a young defenseman having a great season. I'd be like, what's the catch? So yeah. we're probably, we're probably going to see what the catch is here. And like, the, you know, maybe throughout the end of the season, but you know, Heronik's got a, a big qualifying offer yep. 5.3 and he's going to need a new contract, which is going to be huge. And whether or not he can live up to that deal, I guess we'll see. And we will see if like he gives them anything in the window when the Canucks are going to be competitive, which who the hell knows when that's going to be. And even best case scenario, that guy, yeah, you said 5.3 QO, you sign him long-term. He's making fall almost four and a half this year alone. Like he's long-term, past the point of six, being a cost-effective player. Like, like yeah. he's, you're not, you're, even if he's good, you're not going to be saving any money on, on whatever you pay him. It's crazy. It's, it's, uh, I've been here for a couple of days in Vancouver and it's a mess here. And everyone you talk to here is like, Mm-hmm. This is like, this is a disaster, you know, and they're going to have a hard time selling tickets. There's going to be, mm-hmm. I remember back, I think it was 98 or 99 when everything was a complete mess here and they were getting 13,000 going to games. Like we might see a repeat of that at some point. I mean, it seemed like there was caught. We, we said this before you came on, but it seemed like there was cautious optimism over the direction and stuff with, even though the, the Horvat return isn't great, but at least it at least suggested because there wasn't some other, that the main piece wasn't another 27 or 28 year old guy. There was some kind of cautious optimism, it seemed like, from what I've seen at least, from from people in, on Twitter and whatever yeah. else, that maybe, maybe, maybe this was going to be the pivot point. Clearly that, clearly that hasn't happened. They've overcorrected in a big way. I feel like I we don't know what not to- be surprised by what Vancouver is doing, though. Like, Jim Rutherford came out and said, like, we, like we're going to be competitive. Like, he said three years was generous. Like, they think they're going to be good in two. So they're making moves based on a management ownership group whatever it may be that thinks that they're going to be able to ice a really good roster in two years. So they're, they're I don't know what's funnier is doing what's funnier signing JT Miller to that contract originally, or then turning down the chance to maybe get out from under it because you want to want draft picks. Like what is the more ridiculous decision? Cause they're both bad. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, good luck. Signing, good luck out look, there, everybody. Signing look him at the that deal when his value was so damn high at the deadline. I sat on national television last year and said, why did the Vancouver Canucks not move JT Miller? And people in Vancouver were like, cause he's great. He was he's great guys year. at their absolute peak value. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, look at, and look at the, they got Ekman Larson that, you know, people are talking about potentially a buyout for him. And you look at the buyout number and it's like, Oh my God. Like, I think it's, I think they're going to be, be like a 7 million cap hit just on the buyout. Like it's incredible. They need to just, they need to just eat it. They need, they need to just keep him. Play him like I, I yeah. a buyout that that high for that long. Like he can't just, play though. He can't play. His body's yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's that's door number. You send two, him the right? AHL you, and you get your one point one million in yeah. buried cap space and like yeah. it's it's incredible here what's happened. And I the the big thing is that they're trying to do this quick turn. Is I don't know if the star guys are going to want to be here. I don't know that Demko or Pedersen are going to want to be here. So then if what do they you do? move Brock Besser, I think that's going to ha- that's going to be a problem. Just continually something that people forget. Stars in that room who are very close with Brock Besser. People forget players have agency. Players have agency. They have. They have. They. You know. They have some some amount of of agency of over their future. They can. Mm -hmm. They can. They can on some level decide whether they want to be a part of it or not. People people forget it all the time. Mm -hmm. Oh God, do I wish I was? I wish I was a fly on the wall for the 
for the uh, JT Miller conversations between Vancouver and Pittsburgh because they certainly happened. And I, I wish I could have seen how, how they went. I've been well, hopefully more of that comes out. I mean, like Pittsburgh's the other team that's taken a lot of heat right now. So can you imagine if they would have pulled that trade? Like, what would that trade have even looked like? Do you think, Sean? Like, what what would Pittsburgh have been trying to throw in some some? So I think I think the or? day before well, yesterday when they when they that would be a huge mistake. Uh, that was I think that was the fear of a lot of people around here today was that Patterson was going to end up was going to end up going the going out because it seemed like they were trying to do something big. They'd already used all the cap space that they had on, on Grandland. I think that that was at least part of their plan on, on, uh, on, on Wednesday was adding the cap space necessary to be able to accommodate Chikrin or accommodate, you know, maybe Miller a, l- a little bit more, more easily fell apart. And then, you know, what happens? Someone panics and Michael Grandland gets added to the roster. So, but yeah, <laughs> Very, it's it's pretty pretty gross mismanagement, honestly. That's the other end of the conversation when we're talking about Dreger's report that you know that there was a conversation that was had and and Patrick Alvine was like, no, whatever, we need we need a roster player coming back. Like there was another guy on 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 the phone, right? Right. Somebody was rescued. Someone was bailed out by by Patrick Alvine in, in the Vancouver Canucks, and I think all signs point uh, all signs point east. I'll, I'll I'll say that much. Right. Uh, one more Leafs question for you, James, and actually one little bit of news here from Pierre Lebrun, our colleague at the athletic says flames GM Chuck Fletcher says he quote, did not receive a, receive a firm offer from any team on James Van Riemsdyk says they spoke with one team about a trade concept, but it was conditional on that team making another move. And that move didn't happen. Work the market hard past few weeks, but no fit. How about you make the hard offer, Chuck? When, you when, did Chuck go, what, when did he go to the flames Haley? i don't remember that did i say flames oh no sorry. i had sorry no. i had to call you out did i say flames i meant red wings he totally did right oh. sean's not backing me up here i'm really i didn't sleep i zoned out i wasn't paying attention okay, fine. Fine. i was reading i was reading pierre's tweet myself i don't everyone knew what you everyone knew what you meant i don't that's too bad for Van Riemsdyk because, you know, I think Sean was saying earlier, it would have been nice to see him go somewhere. And he's had a pretty good season in Philly, but, you know, not that anyone's been watching. But he's a very good guy on the power play, he even was, at his mummified age. He was the, yeah, he's he's so brave. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to pull this uh, last tweet up from Chris Johnson that I saw, James. It was about uh, Leafs not doing anything else. Uh, Matt Murray, uh, they have enough cap space to be able to get him off LTIR, and they have enough cap space to not just activate Matt Murray, but also sign Matthew Nyes to his entry-level contract once the NCAA season-slash-playoffs are complete. Uh, This goes perfectly with a question that we had in the comment section here. Um, was how does Matthew Nice fit into the Leafs' playoff p- plans this season after he's done in college? And that'll be the My final cap- question for you. Yeah, I was talking to Cap Friendly actually just before I came on about how much space they're actually going to have. I think they're going to have Cap Friendly thought it was going to be around eight fifty is what the Leafs are going to have to work with. So that's probably close to exactly what Nice will get on yep. the contract. Right. The question is when is his season over in college, and when can he come in and? How many games can he play? Like he might only get a couple of games depending on how deep they go. So mm-hmm. um, Kyle Dubas was recently in Minnesota, met with Nyes, watched him play. I'm sure they worked out whatever the contract details were, and I'm sure it's going to get done. And then it's going to depend on how he plays. You know, they're going to give him a shot in the regular season. And if he does really well, then he'll play in the playoffs. But 
you know, it's interesting. Like they're they're so tight to the cap. Like if they spend almost all of that eight fifty on nice, they they can't even unless there's injuries, they can't even recall some players that they've got in the AHL because they don't have a like they can't bring up Wayne Simmons and like they're they're really really tight. So it's um so the 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 hope in terms of like bringing up people uh, to fill in at forward is it's really Matthew Nyes. Like he's going to play an important role for them here. I feel like awesome. league wide, this is where we're really seeing. That, look, we've we've seen a ton of trades over over the last week more more than we typically yeah. do. Like everyone said that because the flat cap, it was going to be a boring mm-hmm. deadline. The, well, the flat cap revenge a, is what happens now because all yeah. because a lot of these teams are going to have major trouble managing the bottoms of their rosters for the next however however many weeks. Like yeah, we saw deals deadline day kind of a bust, but but the last week there was a lot of action, and now and now we're we're gonna we're, we're gonna watch you know. Teams pay the price, I think. Well, look at the Rangers, the perfect example, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, there's going to definitely be more of that. Pittsburgh. I mean, I mean like they, yeah. they don't have a full roster right now. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem like they're, they're, they're going to for, for the next little bit. The Leafs are carrying nine defensemen. They don't have any cap space for the, like, it's, it's, it's bizarre. So, you know, like if, like if two forwards get hurt, then they're going to be, what are they going to play? They're going to play 8D? Like. It'll, Morgan Riley left Morgan wing. Riley. All the fans have been asking. Oh for my God, left they've been well, begging for years. Play them up, baby. It might. It might actually Coach happen Riley. thanks to the mm-hmm. cap. Oh God, that would be uh, the worst thing that would ca- that could happen for like the Morgan Riley critics because they would just feel so vindicated and hating his guts and saying he's a bad defender. Anyways, thanks, James. Yeah. Good show, guys. It was fun. Oh, great. Mendez tagged me in. I, I didn't realize I was going to be doing this. That's fine. Glad yeah. he glad he's uh, taking care of his I own didn't business. know that I was going to be stuck doing this with Sean and you for a half an hour. Oh, good. I didn't drink enough coffee for this. All right. Well, Thanks. good luck, guys. Don't fire me. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> okay. Thanks, everyone, for joining the special live stream edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Thank you to Sean for being tagged in and doing that on zero notice. I know you have a ton of stuff left to write today. Uh, so these days are always super, super long. Uh, and you took a bunch of time to come and do this. Uh, Fluto, Laz, Myrtle, and uh, Mendez obviously was in here, too. Thanks to everybody for, for listening, for watching live on YouTube. Uh, and for making comments and asking us questions. This was a lot of fun for me to do as well. Uh, And I just want to remind everyone that this show is going to be going up as a podcast in a little while. Uh, So please make sure you follow The Athletic Hockey Show on your favorite podcast platform. And right now you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Deadline is uh, looks like it's officially over. Thanks, everyone.